you know, I've hit up one of the mistakes already, which is this idea of talking about your brand over and over again, is that the more a piece looks and feels like an advertisement, the less it performs. Can we still do it? All right, everyone, welcome to the local storecast. I, as always, am your questionably humble host, William Glass. Uh, and with me on the other end is Rachel Peterson, social media guru, entrepreneur, not a local business owner, but somebody whose um, who's interests and skills are going to be so useful for the local business community that it would have been a crime not to have her on. Rachel Peterson, thanks so much for being with us today. William, thank you so much for reaching out to me and having me on your podcast. Yeah. Um, so before anything else happens, can, would you mind just going ahead and giving us an intro? Who are you? Uh, what was your background? Uh, how did you decide to get an entrepreneurship? You know, kind of the the basic intro. Tell us who you are. Definitely. So uh, I am a Minnesota mom. Um, I live in the Midwest. I'm born and raised here. And it's kind of funny because I always had this itch to go into entrepreneurship. I just didn't know what it was. You know, every job that I took on, there was always this slight dissatisfaction. Like I wanted something bigger. I wanted something better. Um, you know, when I worked in restaurants, I'd always have this dream of creating, you know, opening my own restaurant. And when I was a hairstylist for a few years, there was always that itch to start my own salon someday. And so when the itch hit this time, I recognized it because I had finally met some entrepreneurs and realized, oh, hey, this is a thing. This isn't just, you know, a, a, a sickness where I want to leave all my jobs and start my own thing. You know, it's, this is a real thing that people do. And as I started to kind of go into it after a career in, you know, restaurants, a career as a hairstylist, and now working in, a, in marketing for a tech company, I started to get this itch. And what really fueled it was when I got written up at work for missing, missing work for a few days when my daughter was sick. And it just, it kind of took off like wildfire. You know, once it started, it was time to just go and make it happen. So I really pushed, I secured quite a few clients and now I am a full-time social media manager, educator, and I guess kind of like a champion for social media because I love it so much. Wow. Awesome. A lot of entrepreneurs I've talked with have that story of the one day at work where you're like, Oh God, no. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it was very obvious. You know, I was so mad. My blood was boiling and I thought, no, I don't want anyone to ever tell me again when I have to go to work, you know? So it was time to take action. Exactly. Getting written up for a family member being sick. That's a tough one to take. I think. Yeah. I wouldn't swallow that well at all. Yes, definitely. So how did you, a lot of times people who are kind of on that verge or they've just had that moment at work where they're like, I don't know if I can do this anymore, but they're not sure they've got what it takes to do the entrepreneur thing. People's early first 30 days stories, I I find are really helpful for those people. How did you go about, you said a minute ago, you secured a bunch of clients really quickly. Like, how did that happen? What did you do? Yeah. So the first thing that I really did, you know, I, I was still pretty new to this world of entrepreneurship. You know, we had, we've had like one entrepreneur in our family, but it's not really considered a part of the life plan in Minnesota. Everybody goes into corporate. It's, it's just, that's what you do. You go into corporate or you go into a job that you're going to work for the next 30, 40 years. 
So it, it definitely didn't feel like something that was like encouraged or natural. You know, it's not like I'm from California where everybody kind of has the entrepreneurial itch a little bit. So what happened was I just kind of was thinking about how can I reach out to people and start talking to them about social media? How can I find people that I've never spoken with before? And I knew that LinkedIn was something that people were using to generate sales. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, why couldn't I do that? Why couldn't I set up my LinkedIn profile to reflect social media and then start to pitch people? So I started connecting super, super aggressively with people on LinkedIn. And then, you know, at first it was very spammy. You know, I could sell you this and this is what I do. And then it kind of shifted to more of a conversational pitch where it was more of, you know, I'd love to invite you onto a call and see what I could do for your business. Here's what I've done for, you know, other businesses um, in my in my many different careers that I've had so far. And it just started to work. It was the weirdest thing. I remember the first time I signed a client, it was like, you know, I'm jumping up and down and crying. And I'm like, I just secured a $1,000 a month client. This is real. You know, it just was absolutely unreal. Okay. So those first contacts where, you know, you say they were really spammy. What's that like? What are you just like, um, mass emailing? How does it go? Oh, you know, those pitches we all get on LinkedIn where it's like, seven paragraphs and it's all like me, 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 me. Here's what I can do. Here's what I can do. Here's what I can do. Here's why you want to work with me. Uh That, I mean, I just copied those and, and because I didn't know anything different. And, you know, I got a ton of like hate messages back and people saying, you know, this is really like spammy. This is, you know, no, thank you. I don't know you. And so it didn't take me long to get that real time feedback that those don't work very well. You're going to turn off more people than you're going to attract. So I quickly shifted my pitch to more of a, just a really conversational pitch, you know, and, and it's more of like a, you know, Hey, I see that this is what you're doing for your company. This is what I've done for other companies. I'd love to do something similar for you. Wow. And that, that seemed to work pretty well. So who was your first client? Like you talked about nailing that client and jumping up and down a little bit. Who was that? My first client completely cold with no network. That one was, it was actually a, it was a car, car supply company in California. And we had been connected for a few years on LinkedIn, but we never knew each other. And it was so cool. The moment that he sent over, I want to hire you. I did get a couple of other kind of warm contacts just from some of the Facebook groups I was a part of, but I didn't actually know them previously. But this was my very first cold contact for very first uh, client. And actually I went to uh, Nashville, Tennessee last year with them, got to know their team and everything. We went to a, a big conference there, but it, yeah, it was a, it was like an, a car oil company. Um, really not sexy. You know, it was, it was just a really cool company and I got, I learned a lot with them. What can you say about like the learning curve? So you pick up that first client did, was it sort of smooth sailing from then or were there struggles to work out and things like that? Oh, I, I will tell you, I'll be the first to tell you, I made so many mistakes. You know, I didn't know a lot about social media. And the thing that was kind of hard too, is that everyone who was teaching how to do social media management, they were charging an arm and a leg, you know, and I didn't really have $2,000 to invest into a course. And so I was like, I'm going to figure this out, you know, by trial by fire. So I just went for it. And that means that a lot of things didn't go right. And I just had to be okay with that. Right. Um, Right. Which wasn't, which wasn't always easy. I wanted to be an expert. I wanted to be a pro, but 
the best way to do it is by learning with hands-on, you know, a hands-on approach. Sure. So you're, you know, you pick up your first few clients, you're starting to grow your own business and about a year in or so, you know, you get the idea. What if I rent viral on purpose? Um, (laughs) How did you get that idea? What, what, like explain or describe if you can, how that formed in your mind? Well, I'll be honest with you, William. When I realized that the best way to possibly get attention was to create a big splash with potentially a viral piece, it was something that the second I got that idea, I couldn't shake it. And it was kind of funny because I was like, at that point, everyone's still saying, you know, viral is an accident. You can't plan it. It's never, you know, it's never on purpose. And I kind of wanted to prove that that was wrong. So I was talking to my husband one night and I added going viral to my dream board of my goals for 2016. And the second I added that to my dream board, I I wrote the post that went viral. Wow. And yeah, it was just, it was really unreal um, how fast it all worked. Um, But I just had this really strong gut feeling. And so I went for it. So what did you see in terms of, uh, you know, this is a thing that this is a thing I think people are going to share. I mean, to explain that guesswork, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a couple of things that I noticed were that a lot of companies, this kind of goes back to like my pitching on LinkedIn. This is something that we all naturally do. We all start with me, me, me. Here's more about me. Here's why you should like me. Hey, do you want to hire me? Right. And I realized that the more we talk about our brand and our business, the more we turn people off. So I was like, what if I created a post that had absolutely nothing to do with my business? And most people don't ever take the time to do this, but to tell a story behind my brand, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe, you know, it'll hopefully go viral. Maybe it won't. That's okay. I'll try again. Um, but what happens when we tap into the emotions of the market that we want to reach and we tell a story that inspires or causes them to say, yeah, that's totally me or exactly the opposite. That's, I could not disagree more. You know, how do we tap into those emotions and use them in an ethical way in order to go viral? Right. Now, I will say there are a lot of people who use emotions in an unethical way. You know, they, they use anger and outrage and, and turning audiences against each other. Um, just, just, for monetization purposes. But right. that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to do it in a very ethical way. So how you said, you know, that you were talking about telling the story behind your brand and that part of the idea behind the viral post was to do that in a kind of non-businessy way. How did you put together what the pieces were going to be? Or, you know, so you, how did you realize what your brand is? That's what I guess I'd ask. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because William, you haven't even mentioned this yet, but you wrote an incredible piece that talked about the brainstorming behind my social media. And it was one of the most brilliantly written pieces I've ever seen. And I don't even, I still don't understand how you did it because the things that you articulated in that piece were things that I have thought and I have journaled and I've shared with my husband and nobody else. <laughs> Just this idea of, you know, the the idea of telling a story with your social media. How in the world do you convey so many different, you know, morals and ethics and how do you stand out from the crowd when everyone's just fighting to do the whole me, 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 me thing? And I was like, okay, well, what do I stand for? I stand for 
family. Family is super important to me. What else do I stand for? I stand for the idea that beauty still has a place. Like you can, you know, you can have long eyelashes, you can have your hair done. Sometimes you don't have to, that's okay too. But I think I was just kind of experimenting and I was starting to see what was getting a reaction and what wasn't. And it was interesting because one day I came home and I said to my husband, I'm noticing that every, if I don't put a selfie, every nine pictures or a picture of myself, my engagement drops. And I don't really know what that correlation is yet. It's just something I'm noticing. And then, you know, we just didn't really talk about it again, but I started adding more photos of myself, which was kind of interesting. And then as I started to tell the story, I was realizing that a part of it didn't necessarily have to do with the engagement. Um, I think engagement is great, but I also think when you have 20,000 followers, a lot of people are watching your life and they don't necessarily want to participate, but they're like, what is she doing? What's going on? What's the behind the scenes, you know? And so I was like, what if I started to narrate a story that had nothing or very little to do with my business and people started to react really favorably to it. Right. The story of not so much about like your business and what you do, but like the story of the person doing it. Yes. Um, Right. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, I think that's brilliant. And I think it's something that um, a lot of businesses struggle initially to get. So they, they get on social media and they think that what social media is, is it's a place for me to mass advertise my promotions or whatever. And what they're missing is like the full purpose of it, which is the, I've heard you say this before, the social part of it. Yeah. And that um, not touching into that social part really, you know, if you're not doing that, you're just, it's just media. And it's so true. It's so funny because I think it's sometimes the hardest part of the story to tell. You know, we, we forget that other people don't just want to see our highlight reels, you know, as much as it's fascinating. Like, of course, I like to look at an Instagram that's beautifully curated, but all I can think about is how long did, you know, that husband have to sit there with a phone to take the perfect photo because I know what goes into that. It's not magically some people's lives are better than ours. And sometimes I want to know what does a normal day look like for that person? Right. And that's what I find myself craving. When celebrities put their behind the scenes photos, I, it's so beautiful to me because it's, you know, an authentic and intimate look at their life. Right. And it's not, like I said, it's not easy to do because it's coming from a place of vulnerability. But if you get so used to that and your audience gets used to that, it's going to feel so natural. You've talked a lot about how you've done social media and how you think of it. What do you think are some of the biggest mistakes? Um, I know you've worked with a lot of businesses and even even local markets. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see? Hmm. You know, I've hit up one of the mistakes already, which is this idea of talking about your brand over and over again. And it's funny because I manage a lot of big pages with huge followings and one of the things that that sometimes like their sponsors and stuff don't realize is that the more 
a piece looks and feels like an advertisement, the less it performs. But yet they're still, they, they want to make it look like an advertisement. They're like, no, we need our logo big here. We need it to be so clear that this is about our brand. When in reality, if you back away from your brand for a second, you're going to get the biggest reach. Yeah. It's like, you know, the dog that's, um, well, that's not the right analogy. I'm not even going to go there. Um, but it's, it's this idea of like holding it so tightly that you crush it when in reality, it's this beautiful like butterfly that you can let go and trust that it's going to come back to you with something even better. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. So that's a huge mistake that I see. Another mistake that I see as well. And this is interesting because I kind of, I want to start moving towards being, I guess the face of this idea that, you know, the customer is not always right. And that's something we're seeing a lot of on social media right oh, now. Snap. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm going there. <laughs> it's, it's a really big thing, but I think for so long, the old school mentality of we need to bow down and the customer is always right was actually rewarding the, the customers that didn't deserve that all-star customer service. Hmm. And, you know, my husband used to work for a car dealership who will remain unnamed. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> To protect yeah. the not so yeah. innocent. <laughs> what they would do, though, is they had like an allowance for basically for when customers threw fits. And when they threw fits, they would comp their car at work. And what that says to me is we're rewarding this bad behavior from customers who are not your brand champions, who are speaking highly of your brand. Hmm. You know, it's it's kind of interesting, but I'm starting to see this, have this idea of, you know what, not everybody should be your customer and not everybody should be your client. There needs to be a great relationship. And, you know, customers and clients need to behave too. So if somebody's throwing a it on your Facebook page, sometimes it's okay to just take it offline and just say like, that was inappropriate. You know, like that was uncalled for. We're going to refund you because we don't want you as somebody who's walking around as an ambassador for our brand. Wow. I, it's crazy, but I feel so strongly about it. Yeah. That seems totally um, like you're going to get, uh, you know, someone's going to burn you at the stake for this. But I yep. think there's... There's a lot to that. I think that, uh, again, this goes back to the idea of just being, uh, of brands being social in this era. So there's a, a community and there's, you know, there are standards for behavior. And obviously, at a certain point, you just, it becomes more trouble than it's worth to hang on to somebody in your community who's really only there to get whatever they can get for themselves and move on. Yeah. You know, that's something that's kind of funny. Um, so for my, my online university, I implemented a $1 trial for seven days and I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen. You know, is this going to change the quality of the people I've been attracting to my, my university? Is it going to shift the community dynamics? How am I going to feel about this? And what I realized is that it filters out the people who aren't right within seven days. So you know, as much as I have people saying yes to my, to continuing and staying in my university, I'm like, wait a second. Some of these people are throwing fits within the seven day trial when something isn't working perfectly. You know what? That's awesome. I don't want them in my community moving forward. So it's a trial for them, but it's also a trial for me to see who's a good fit. So kind of (laughs) crazy. Totally. Um, so a lot of your customers, I know, um, either, people whose work pages you're managing or people who've taken part in your, you know, your, your social media university, a lot of those people have, uh, 
themselves they're local people they're they're doing business in a local marketplace um are there particular challenges that you see to running in the local market i mean is is social media different in that space and how so you know it's completely different um the needs of a local market um you know brick and mortar stores people who are working with the local market as their customer base, it is entirely different because there's less of an audience to pull from. And there are a couple of things that I've noticed. So number one, it's incredibly important in this case, especially to not go into that, that desperation cycle of maybe if we post more offers and more often and everything, you know, we'll get more customers, but instead build this like amazing space that your local market wants to follow, Hmm. that they're excited to follow, that gives the sneak peeks behind the scenes because that's where you're going to find the most loyal market in your local market. Right. That's a huge part of it. Another thing that's interesting as well is, you know, I work with a lot of people in the online space who are very familiar with online marketing. And what I think that a lot of small businesses and brick and mortar locations don't realize is the power that can be harnessed by social media. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's in a large, there, there's definitely education that needs to happen just in general, because, you know, all that they've known for a long time is traditional marketing. But there is so much that can be gleaned from social media. You know, it's way more cost effective. It's an incredible lead generation platform. It's the opportunity to tell stories without paying tons of money for people to see it on a commercial. Um, So I think one thing that's interesting with local markets um, is that, you know, it isn't quite valued yet the way that it can be, should be, and will be ultimately. Right. And so whenever my students say, you know, I'm working with my local market, I love small businesses. I say, okay, that's wonderful, but maybe you should secure a couple of big paying clients and then go into education in your local market because Hmm. it's a different field and you're going to have to kind of be working, you know, going against the tide just a little bit, depending on the market. Sure. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for social media managers and for local markets, brick and mortar uh, owners, small businesses to really partner together and create just some amazing narratives that transform their business. Right. Well, one of the things I've done over the last few days is I have um, polled our audience uh, to see what, what people think are some of the bigger challenges for local business in the social media space. And so uh, I've gathered a few questions. If you don't mind, I'd love to get just your thoughts on uh, on, on some of these questions. Definitely. Um, so the first one is, uh, we have a, a landscaping company writes in, I've targeted Facebook ads to my local marketplace and have not had much in the way of success. Um, I confess I don't really know how I should target them. Um, you have any ideas on what I should do. Hmm. Okay. So one of the things that I would recommend is to start taking before and after photos because a before and after photo tells this idea. It tells the story of what your company can do better than any after photo, any stock photo can. Right. Another thing that's going to be really powerful is to start seeking out reviews and testimonials from people in the local market Hmm. and then use those as a part of the basis for your advertising because that speaks volumes, especially if you say, you know, it's, it's Johnny who owns the local, you know, 7-Eleven. 
because then those people are like, whoa, this is a person in my community that trusted this person's landscaping business and had a great success. Right. That would definitely be something that I would do. Um, another thing that would be really a really powerful lead generation technique is to create some type of value ladder. So maybe like a free or a low cost, you know, level of service that's maybe an audit or something where they check to see how everything's doing. Or I don't know, I don't know landscaping terms yet. I haven't had a landscaping client checking their irrigation system. I don't know if that's a part of their process, but something that gets their foot in the door and opens the opportunity for a bigger conversation. So don't ask for the big ask of, we want to, you know, completely landscape your entire seven properties. No, we want to offer this low level or free value offered to you, but then we're going to have a conversation and that's where you build that no like, and trust and relationship. Right. Sure. Yeah, the before and after pictures seems like, I mean, to me anyway, seems like that's a, the sort of thing that lets somebody really get an emotional feel for what the difference is, you know, hiring you versus not hiring. I think one of the big things that, you know, cosmetic property services deal with is they're not just competing with other landscapers, they're competing with doing nothing. Yes. And, and so that, that before and after gives you the picture, this is what it's like if you don't hire me. This is what I can do to make your neighbors absolutely go crazy over your house or make people visit and and want to know what you're doing that they're not doing. Yep. And I always think that there has to be like a funny campaign in there too. You know, the the grass is always greener. Well, not not with this landscaping company. Our, you know, our lawns look amazing. Right. Putting some humor behind it as well. I think that would be really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next one is we have a, a dentist who writes. I've had a Facebook page for a little over a year now. We almost never post to it, mostly because we just don't know what to put there. I can't imagine a lot of people want to scroll through their Facebook feed and see before after pictures of some person's teeth. Uh, Some of our befores, he says, might just be downright frightening. (laughs) So what should I post? So one of the things with before and afters with dentistry is, yeah, it could probably be pretty scary. I've seen some pictures of like nightmare teeth and it's terrifying. Right. But one of the things I would do is there are two things, sorry, there are two things I would do for before and afters. I would only focus those on, you know, your whitening services because you know that those are a high profit, uh, low cost item that get people in the door because people want white teeth. So I would only use before and afters for smiles that aren't terrifying, but you know, could use a whitening and then have that before and after. But here's the thing. Let's go back to that whole idea of virality. We stop making it about ourselves and we start making it about our market. What do, what does the local market feel about dentists? Well, I know that I am somebody that dentists want to get in and I'll be honest, I'm scared of going to the dentist. Why? Because I've worked with really bad dentists before and they've, they've really messed up my teeth. And, you know, then, then I have to get fillings and then redo fillings or a root canal and they failed the root canal. And it just, it, that scares me. And so think about your market and think about what is their hesitation in coming in? Is it money? Well, sometimes, but more often than not, it's this fear of getting their teeth worked on. So how can you make it, how can you make it less scary? Maybe with a video, you know, a video testimonial from somebody who said I was I was really scared to come into the dentist and I was really glad because from the moment I walked into this office, it wasn't 
a scary environment. You know, there were, there were friendly, friendly people. There were, you know, this, 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 they took extra care to make sure that my, my mouth was doing fine. And for the first time in my life, I'm not scared of going to the dentist. Right. Again, I think the, the easily missed thing here is the importance of the social aspect of social media. It's one thing for you to get up and say, here's why my dental practice is awesome. It's another thing entirely for your customer to stand there and having just received the best service of their life and say, I was really nervous about coming here and to identify with all the other people who are just like them and then say, here's why it was great in this case. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's what I would do. Um, just let them know that you're you're a friendly dentist, that you're established in the community, that you're you know rep, you've got a great reputation. And for any dentist, I would probably show like photos of your family and come in to visit you at the office. You know, tell that backstory so they know you're not just some you know hack who's trying to make tons of money. You're a family person or something along those lines. I would definitely let people in on the behind the scenes of your right. practice. Lining up your values with the values of the people who you're hoping to attract it makes total sense to me. Yes. I guess the last one, I, um, we have an e-commerce uh, store who writes, my Etsy store sells wooden signs with custom lettering and calligraphy. I have a suspicion that social media might help drive traffic to my store, but I'm not quite sure where to begin. What do I do? Ooh, I love this question. couple of different things. So with physical products that are appealing to, especially to women in general, since women make a lot of the purchasing decisions in a household, it varies depending on the income level, the age, the dynamics in the relationship. But I think that with something that's so visually attractive, you can't ignore Instagram and Pinterest. Right. And one of the things, oh my gosh, Pinterest, the power of Pinterest is amazing. Um, but building like a strong following is easy on Instagram. And then on Pinterest, all it takes is one pin taking off for you to have tons of sales. So I'd start with just starting to really pin a lot of your content, a lot of your products on Pinterest. That's one platform where you can do that. Right. And on Instagram, you know, show the behind the scenes, the care that goes into creating all of the, your signs, show some of your finished work, let people comment, but really build up those two communities. And then with Facebook, Facebook is getting more difficult to get organic reach with. So what I would recommend is actually maybe starting Facebook, but holding off on it a little bit because you're going to have to run ads. Um, start with the organic platforms like Pinterest and, and Instagram, and then see what happens with those as you build a strong following. Yeah, that's outstanding. What on Pinterest, What uh, besides pinning, is there... What's, this, what's the best sort of social tactic there? I mean, you know, building a network and kind of going out into the world of other craftspeople. Um, do you have ideas on that? For Pinterest in particular, so I just brought on an amazing team member who is 1,000 times more talented in Pinterest than I will ever be. It's like she breathes Pinterest. She understands it right. um, so well. Um, she's made pins go viral. Just She's really talented. And she said what it all comes down to is besides the image, the image is great, but everybody has great images on, on Pinterest. So what makes something do well on Pinterest it all comes down to the meta tags, um, the alt tags, sorry, the metadata, the alt tags, and really the SEO of whatever you're pinning. Hmm. So if you already have a solid strategy on Etsy to get ranked, 
that same strategy is going to work in your favor when you start pinning items from your store. Right. It's already right. built into the pins. Wow. That's outstanding. Uh, I, I sure hope this person catches the show. That I was awesome. Special thanks and big shout out to Suze Long and Hard Worker. Great Roots Rock style folk kind of Americana sound coming out of Durham, North Carolina. Appreciate so much them partnering up with the show and letting us use some of their tunes. You guys are hearing great stuff here. Their music is incredible. What can I say? It speaks for itself. You can find them at Instagram.com slash hardworkerband or Facebook.com slash the same thing. You can find them on the web at hardworkerband.com. Looking forward to seeing Hardworker out on the road this summer. Um, not quite sure where all they're going to be yet, but as the itinerary gets finalized, we certainly will let you know. And you can also find out at all those great properties. Again, Instagram, Facebook, and on the web. Hardworker, you guys rock. Just keep it up. We're going to turn the corner and head towards wrapping up here. So you've had a great year. What's missing? What are you What are you going after in the next year to year and a half? Ooh, you know, one of the things that I'm really... It's funny because I look back on this last year and I've achieved a lot more than I ever thought I would in my lifetime. You know, I had dreams, but I didn't really know how that they would start to come to fruition. Um, you know, I just hired a couple team members that are dream team members the only thing that's really missing is figuring out how to find balance continually. You know, right. not balance for a weekend, not balance for a couple hours, but more like how do I, as a business owner, find, you know, systems for getting myself out of really long days? You know, it's transitioning from freelancer to business owner to kind of more hands off business sure, owner. Sure. It isn't a natural process. So that's something I'm really working towards. You know, I'm getting closer every single day and I've got some mentors who are pushing me towards it. But I would really love to someday work, you know, nine to three potentially. Is it possible? I don't know, but I'm going to definitely shoot towards it. Yeah. So it sounds like you've got team members coming on. And so you're you're beginning to to do that bit where you leverage yourself out. I think one of the things I hear from entrepreneurs constantly, whether local or otherwise, is the difficulty of ever getting out, like ever being able to charge enough to get yourself out of the business. So you have to, you have to charge pretty high in order to make it where you can both afford to hire a team and also still make it worth your own while. Um, I'm sure as the year has gone by, you're, you're able to charge more, but um, because you're becoming a respected thought leader and an authority in the area. But what have been some of your successes on that front, getting to a place where you can step out and bring team members in? Like, What are the successes and challenges you're facing there? Definitely. Um, so I have my two different sides of my business. I have Social Media University, and then I have my marketing agency. And with Social Media University, that was my first step in really going hands-off in something. And what I did is I brought in this team member who was actually a member of my university. And I saw her and she stood out to me and she just was very organized and brought a level of systems that I loved. And so what I did is I just took an afternoon. It was it was really hard to step away from everything and take, you know, four or five hours. But I built out the soaps and, you know, the, the standards 
what, what is it? It's standards, standard operating procedures. Sure. I'm building all those out and building all the screen screen shares so she could see what what the processes looked like. And the moment I did, it was amazing because that one I was able to literally just step back and be like, she's handling all new members, all canceling members. She's handling, you know, all the stuff on that side. Right. My business. That's amazing. You know, and it freed me. And that was that was kind of addicting. I was like, who else can I hire? Like, what else can I, you know, outsource? <laughs> and then I brought on, and this was really cool, but I brought on my sister. Who wow. one, yeah, who's one of my best friends. And she's she's very brilliant. She's got a very strategic mind as well. And so it was kind of like cloning myself, which was amazing. And then the challenge that I found with that is that she really needs to be working on high level strategies in my business because I should be at some point, you know, I think uh, Russell Brunson calls it like the guru on the mountain. You're the guru on the mountain and then you you hand everything down to your team and then they implement everything. Right. And he's really right about that. So that's something that I need to work towards and get to. Um, so I trust her and I'm excited, but I'm realizing we need to bring on maybe a couple more people so that she can focus on being my right hand person, you know, mm -hmm. and then my other team member is my left hand person. How are you keeping all this together with having a new family? I mean, uh, yeah. a lot of the local business owners I talk about, you know, a hundred hour weeks aren't uncommon. They basically live on fast food and convenience stores. I mean, how are you keeping life running <laughs> while running this this sort of two-sided giant business? Yeah, you know, a part of it is pivoting because you know, you're not you're not born a leader of two giant businesses. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a growth process. It's been very challenging um to say the least. It's stretching every day. I guess I've kind of decided I'm not going to live in the comfort zone ever again. It's always going to be uncomfortable and it's mm -hmm. always going to be stretching. Um, the biggest thing is, you know, my husband really stepped up and he actually, when I, at first I retired him from his nine to five, um, just cause I wanted him around more and he's like been amazing and, you know, doing laundry and doing the grocery shopping and he's not as good of a cook as I am, but he can put together a meal and he makes sure that I eat a sandwich throughout the day. Um, but my husband's really, really stepped up and, you know, he's going to start his own business at some point, And then we're going to need to bring in somebody who helps to kind of like manage everything in the household. Right. But I couldn't have done it without him really stepping up and being like, you know, I've got your back. I'm pulling the slack in this team while you're, while you're building this business that's going to change our lives, you know? Yeah. It's, that's an amazing part of your story. I think is that, that your brand is that story of family and bringing families together, you know, hiring your sister, um, you know, bringing hubby home to help manage, um, you know, the whole, the whole life. Like that's yeah. this working with family thing is, is your, is, is your brand. It's a huge part that I think, um, is part of the reason people identify with you. I mean, going back to the viral post, you know, you, the viral post for those who are hearing this for the first time was a, defense of having a small wedding ring, despite the fact that Rachel had achieved serious success. And for Rachel, this, the wing, the, the wing, the ring was <laughs> an emblem, a sign of this value of, 
of, of, of love and family and holding people close to you and not just replacing someone, uh, because you, you, you maybe can do better now. Um, it's incredible that that's that goes all the way down in your business, all the way down to who you hire and who comes in close and gets to help make the big decisions. Oh my gosh, it's so true. And you know, my dream is for my entire team to feel like a family. I know that people say like, don't work with family; it's a nightmare. Well, sometimes it is, you know. But I've I've hired my mother-in-law, and she's our full-time nanny for the girls, so that it's a win-win. We don't have to hire a stranger, but it's family, and she's able to make an income and spend time with her grandkids. And you know, my sister's on my team now. My mom is actually the person that I have in mind for the household manager because then it's it feels like you're still doing a good thing for your family. But I just want this really like intimate feeling. Anyone that I bring on my team, I want us to laugh and have fun and know each other so closely that it's like, you almost don't even have to talk. You communicate through like ESP, you know? Uh It's, (laughs) <laughs> that's how it is with sisters. I'll say half a sentence and I'll never finish it. And my sister will know what she's supposed to do from that, which is amazing. Right. Of course. Yes. Um, so knowing what you know now, Rachel, about how life has turned out, what, what was going to happen. If you could go back and meet Rachel Peterson at 19 years old, um, oh. what would you say to her? Oh my goodness. When 19 year old Rachel was, a, was very messy to be honest. It's a different different person. Um, The biggest thing I would say to that 19-year-old girl, because yeah, she was just kind of spinning out of control, didn't know up from down, left from right, didn't know who she could trust. It was just a really like hard time. But I would really, I would say to her, you know, there, there is hope. There are big things that you can't comprehend yet that are going to happen. You're going to find love that is beautiful and unshakable and is a foundation for your life. You're going to be an amazing mom. You're going to have a business that you never could have comprehended. Um, Everything is going to look different. So, you know, maybe don't spin so far out of control. (laughs) You know, maybe, maybe party, but just not too much. Um, (laughs) But at the same time, that 19-year-old girl had to go through a journey in order for me to become a single mom, in order for me to find my husband, in order for me to build the business that I did. It's that whole cliche like, I wouldn't change anything because then I wouldn't be where I am today. But I would just give that 19-year-old a seed of hope and just say, there are big things coming. Just don't give up right now. You know, Don't give up. Just know it's it's on its way. You Mm. just have to continue on on this path and everything will work out. Wow. No better place to end. Rachel, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a delight to have you. William, thank you so, so much for inviting me and for reaching out to me on social media Yeah, a couple of months ago. Yeah, grateful to um, people check her out. You can follow Rachel on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at the MRS Peterson. And for those of you who aren't Minnesota Swedes, that's P-E-D-E-R-S-E-N. Also, check out rachelpeterson.com. I can't endorse highly enough Social Media University and the testimonials you'll see there. Uh, This is the real deal, people. And if if you're a business owner and you're struggling like some of our questioners to get that winning strategy or how to even learn yourself what the basic components are um, of social media, I can't say highly enough. Uh, Check out rachelpeterson.com. 
And um, Rachel, thanks so much. Thank you so much, William. Now I 